Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Caitlin. I'm still not over the fact that we have an intro and we're not meant to do this anymore, but yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not breaking all the rules. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just breaking the ice. <laughs> um, so you've had a very, very busy few, few weeks? Oh, week and a half, maybe. Yeah, yeah very busy. Um, I have, well, anyone who's listened to this before or follows me on social media uh, at Just a Bookish Babe, just like self-plug there, <laughs> um, knows that I love musicals and has probably seen some involvement in local theatre before and has heard me talk about it. Um, and the past week, we've had Tech Week and then the first weekend of performances for a local production of Kinky Boots. Which, long-time listeners will know, we went and saw a year and a half ago. Yeah. In Brisbane, and we loved it. Loved it so much. Oh, and like it's it's amazing because I always find when I when I'm involved in a show or I do a show that I know and I like, like I already knew and listened to the soundtrack of my favorite songs always change. Like before, Ooh. like when we saw the show. Oh, I mean, I loved like Land of Lola. And history of wrong guys, and like you know those ones that you like want to sing in your car, and I'll be like, yeah, Lola. you know, and obviously still love those songs, mm. but the ones that have been stuck in my head forever, it feels like, but it's only been two weeks, <laughs> um, are ones like Soul of a Man. Um, I don't know, that's like, that's, and not my father's son. Like those are the lyrics that are like going round and round and round in my head. They have really beautiful, like little moments in them as well. Like, yeah. So beautiful. I love this show. Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. It's so beautiful. Yes. And Michelle came and saw the show on the weekend and it was good. I'm it trying was, to like, yeah, no, like it. it was. I was like, I was like, am I like, is she going to say something else? Or? No. I don't know. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. The only thing was that you could tell that there weren't enough guys to make up the angels because oh, yeah. all the girls looked super petite next to the two guys who were doing it. Oh, three. Fun. Yeah, so I say fun fact. There's actually three. Yeah, but, but one, one of them's them... quite like shorter and more petite than the others. Oh, hang on. No, there's four. But yeah, two of them are. Yes. Younger and like shorter and more petite men. <laughs> yes, because like two of them were quite tall, broad shoulders. Mm. Um, one of them was, I think I might have spoken about doing some burlesque classes on the podcast. Maybe I don't remember. I can't remember. Um, but I did some burlesque classes, which they were mainly doing for the cast of Kinky Boots, but anyone could go along. And I picked out our teacher straight away and I still couldn't take my eyes off his calves. He's, oh, he's fantastic. He's so fabulous. <laughs> he was like the equivalent of Jonathan Van Ness. Like we were in class and he would just be like, yes, everyone's fabulous. Just feel it. Love yourself. You're all amazing. And I was like, oh, I feel so uplifted after this class. So yeah, he's so lovely. Yeah. I almost want to segue right now to the fact that we've watched the first two episodes of Queer Eye. I haven't watched any more, only the first two episodes. I started watching the next one and it's so cute. It's It's sisters. Oh, Oh, I mean, it's all so beautiful and you just watch it and I'm like, 
I mean, Jonathan particularly, I'm like, can you just follow me around in my everyday life and tell me that I'm fabulous? Mm. Because watching that show, like, it's so cliche and everyone feels the same way. But I watch it and I'm like, no, you're right. We are all beautiful, special <laughs> little butterflies. I am fabulous. You're right. And they're not even talking to me. They're talking to someone else. Yeah. But, but I'm like, what, yes, um, I am a fabulous little butterfly, Jonathan. I am. <laughs> What we were talking about and what um, one of the people in the second episode says is he loves that they don't try and tell you what's wrong. Mm. Like, he didn't shower very much, but they weren't like, ew, that's disgusting. Instead, Tam was like, look, these are the clothes. You need more breathable clothes. Yeah, he was like, these are the sorts of clothes you should wear. Like, it it was just so gentle. I know. And even he said that at the end. He's like, I was scared that you guys were going to come in and, like, try and change me and stuff. But they don't they go in like improve. that. They Yeah. They just pick up what's already good and what you're doing right and maybe help you realise the areas of your life which need a little bit of improvement. But they're never like, ew, you're so bad or whatever. Like, they mm. never put you down. No. I say put you down as if it's, like, us. Yeah, you know, know, like, oh, they never put me down. Or I know. But they're so cute. And that is – I think – you know, Tan's part of it is the part that I really like because I feel like he hasn't gone to the same shop twice. No. In like three seasons, he he's, always he has takes, something different. He takes, you know, everyone everywhere. And like, and it's always, you know, really conscious of like, you know, budget and everything. Like, oh, remember, I think it's in the second season, there's like a dad or whatever. And like all the girls and like everyone goes to like Target or something and they're like buying all this stuff yes, from Target. Yes, I remember that. Oh, it was yeah. so cute. Jonathan was, like, getting all the beauty products yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And, like, even Bobby was, like, buying, like, rugs and things like that from Target because, yeah. like, you know, that's, like, good for them. And, you know, like, and he takes, you know, yeah. And, like, this guy that he took to, like, a camping shop and was, like, here's, mm. like, he's breathable, breathable shirts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is how to look for a cotton shirt. Like, mm. this is how you know it's cotton and... Yeah, oh, super cute. They're just so – I just – I want to watch it all. I think I need to go home and watch it. <laughs> yeah, I probably will watch some more tonight. It's so sweet. Oh, it really I is. I love it. Um, the only other thing I've been watching, because I've been pretty – I feel like I've been pretty bad lately. I've just either been watching the same old things over and again. Um, really? Or, Michelle, oh, my God. You never shock. do that. What a oh. shock. <laughs> um, we've been re-watching the Harry Potter movies. Oh, yeah. But I realised when we started watching number five that I only ever watch, like, one, two, and three over and over again. I'm always like, oh, I'm going to start watching from the start and I'm going to – and I get to, like, number three and then, like, something happens and I never keep going. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to start watching Harry Potter again and I never, like, go past number three. Really? Yes. Same with reading it too. With reading it, you know already that I skip, like, I've never, ever reread Order of the Phoenix – I think I've half reread or maybe got through Goblet of Fire once and then tried to reread it like two other times and it just gets put on the back burner because mm. I've got other books I'm reading or whatever. Love number six and seven. I've read them a lot and I would often, when I was in high school, just go back to six and seven because um, I, I really like those ones. I feel like I'm basically the opposite. I have definitely read the first couple more purely because they came out first and, like, as you reread the series as the books came out. We well, yeah, like, I didn't have that because I wasn't allowed to read them until Half-Blood Prince was out by the time I was allowed to read them. By the time – well, I was reading them. I remember Order of the Phoenix coming out, I think. Mm-hmm. But either way, like, I – 
you know, like you read the first ones mm. over and over again sort of thing. So I've probably read um, the last three books less than the first four, I'd say. But movies... Opposite. Complete, like, I would have seen the more recent ones more. Because, like, you know, especially when I was still living at home and, like, my younger brother and I, you know, would be like, I feel like watching a Harry Potter movie. And we'd be like, which one? And, like, more often than not, sometimes, yeah, three, honestly. Three, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, part two. Mm. I don't think we were ever like, yeah, let's watch Chamber of Secrets. (laughs) Like, I love them, obviously. But if I'm like, I'm going to sit down and watch one Harry Potter movie, I'm often like, I really want to watch the Triwizard Tournament or let's watch the ones with Sirius and the Order or let's watch the last one and watch the final battle. You know, like it's See, I like feel that. like people might return to number one and two a little bit more because they're a little bit more like innocent. That's probably exactly why I watch Half-Blood Prince more because I'm like, this is a Harry Potter movie that's trying to be a teen comedy and I yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah. I just think that, like, if people are, like, mm, cosy night in, they probably would prefer to watch, like, Philosopher's Stone or yeah. Chamber of Secrets over, like, number seven, part one and two, which are very dark but, like, amazing. Yeah. I love them most because they're so they're So well from, executed. Yeah, yeah. From the book. But I did find as we watched them, I was like wow, these are so depressing. Like, they're just not... You don't have the fun, uplifting moments, but they're still amazing. That's why I love the sixth one, because it's got all, like, the funny bits. Yeah, it's got the funny bits. But see, I always avoided number six, like, re-watching number six, because it annoys me so much. Also, we have tried to stop Percy barking, but literally it's a thing where he can sense that we're about to record, and so he starts barking. So do apologise for any past episodes and future episodes that involve my dog barking or my birds chirping. We probably mention it at least once an episode. So you know I feel what? like it's almost not necessary anymore. Only two more months and then <laughs> I won't have a dog anymore. Oh. <laughs> well, that's a little bit depressing. I know. No more Percy, guys, because we're leaving him here when we go to the UK. So yeah. Oh, to clarify, they're not like leaving him somewhere and I will still have a dog by the way we're not getting him put down or anything drastic I said that and I was like oh that sounds a bit bad yeah no we're leaving him with Jack's dad who Mm. loves him very very much he will be very loved I am a little bit worried about the amount of food he'll be fed but you know it will come from a place of love I'm sure yeah I'll be keeping an eye on the the weight though (laughs) (laughs) I'm so worried I'm like this is like my little this is my little baby I don't want him to get all fat yeah fair enough not that there's anything wrong with body image, but it's unhealthy for pugs to be fat. So yeah. it's about his health. Yeah, and it doesn't take much for a dog to get no, unhealthily Especially fat. when they're as greedy as he is. Like, <laughs> he will literally, like, you. we've accidentally fed him twice before and he will eat to the point where he can't move because there is food there. Like, he will make himself very ill because there's food there. Oh so God. he's got no self-control. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's concerning for me because he will literally just eat anything. Anyway, I'm going to miss him very much. But on the upshot, he's going to have lots of fun. Yeah. He'll probably be an inside dog as well, which he'll probably enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I reckon he will. Yeah. Have (sighs) you been reading anything? Uh, Underdog. So I've been in the... Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I've been in the worst, like, reading slump. I don't think I had read a page for all of March until... Sunday night 
And what's today? Okay, so we're recording this on Tuesday, mm-hmm. Sunday. So Sunday the 17th? Oh my goodness. I had you not have read, been so busy. I had not read a word for all of... I'm busy that week, not the week before or anything. Yeah. I don't know what my excuse was then, but I hadn't read a word. You could have gone with it. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. I hadn't read a word and... Then I read the first story in the Underdog anthology and it was just so, so cute that I was like, okay, I'm hooked now. The first one is particularly cute. I loved pretty much every single one of them. Mm. They were so wonderful. And um, if you haven't read it yet, then keep an eye on my Instagram at unfinished book. Is that what my Instagram handle is? No. Oh, unfinished, unfinished bookshelf. bookshelf. Okay, I get it. Con- Look, valid point. I get it confused with my Twitter, which is unfinished underscore book because underscore shit. Because unfinished bookshelf was too long for Twitter. Yeah, so just a bookish babe is too I'm long for Twitter too. So on my, my Twitter is just a bookish, which makes no sense. <laughs> like it makes no grammatical sense, you know, like it's not like a full yeah. phrase. Like it's not just like... Just a bookish. It's not like just bookish babe or no bookish babe i thought it was better to not have to like skip the last word if i did have just bookish babe for a while but then i changed it because i was like i don't want to be just a bookish babe and then just bookish babe because people will never find like i don't know it seemed easier to me Mm. to have just a bookish babe and then just a bookish yeah because twitter handles aren't allowed to be that long look i think the problem here is twitter so yes sort yourself out um Anyway, keep an eye on my Instagram at Unfinished Bookshelf if you haven't read this book yet, but you want to mm. just over the next few days or whatever, whenever you're listening to this. Yeah, go check. <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this a long time after it's come out, then probably don't bother, but <laughs> <laughs> still read the book because it's amazing. Yeah, it's wonderful. I can't wait to keep reading. I've only read a couple of stories so far um, because I'm also reading something else. Yes, this which segues nicely into our next thing that we exciting announcement that we have. Yeah. Well, exciting for everyone who lives in Rockhampton, which is about maybe one listener. I don't know. I have no idea how many of our listeners live in Rockhampton, but for those of you who don't, Rockhampton is on the Tropic of Capricorn, which is what makes the name of the event we're attending and hosting a panel at. Haha, <laughs> that's the announcement. Um, quite fun. So um, our local council here puts on an event with the library um, called Capricorn. Because it's a convention. Yeah, it's a convention. Like, yeah. It's like Everyone says, you know, supernova. like Comic-Con. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, so it's Capricorn. Um, yeah, I don't... It's actually pretty big. Yeah. They expect about 10,000 people to come, which is huge. Not to our session, I might point out. Oh, God. No. But they have, like, um, like over a the guy day. from the 100 coming mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of other really cool people who we don't necessarily know only because we're not as into that world. It does. You know have, we're contemporary people. Yes, it does. The event does have more of a fantasy focus, but the fact that it's local and we get to mm-hmm. interview an awesome female author, we're so excited about. And we actually do think that you guys will really enjoy it. And we say that because we are going to release a live episode if everything goes well. Now, if you've been listening for a while, um, clearly we're not ever going to release an episode of our 
amazing live interviews with Veronica Roth because something happened with the recording and yeah. we never got to listen to it again. Trust us, it was an awesome chat. Uh, it was she awesome. She was amazing. And we're, we're devastated. Um, but Look, this time... we're devastated because we were so in the zone that I can't remember I half of no what I have no idea happened. what we talked about. <laughs> so hopefully, yes, all according to plan, this time we really will be able to release our very first live interview. Yes. And in all of this lead up and talk, we haven't said who it's oh, with yet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's with Kate Forsyth, who yes. is, I would say, prolific. She oh has an incredible amount of books under her belt. And she also, I know, has been a mentor to one of our previous guests, Lauren Chater. So um, one of the things we're going to talk about is some of her historical fiction. She's incredibly mm-hmm. well known for her historical um, fairy tale retellings. Yeah. And also we're looking at her middle grade work and some young adult work and she's just, she's she's amazing. She's written so much. We looked up and we were like, okay, so like, like, let's read her book, you know, like whatever. And we looked it up and there's too many. So we're reading as many, as much as we possibly can. Mm. Um, But I'm currently reading the first book in her, um, the Impossible Quest series. And Michelle, you're reading... The Beast's Garden. Yes. Which is hard to say. The Beast's Garden. The, be- the Beast's Garden. Yes. Um, uh, I am listening to it on audio actually because I love a good audio book. And this one, when I looked it up, it was... Uh, a- Fantasy is hefty. <laughs> oh, it's huge. Oops, I didn't mean to actually start playing it then. Um, so I have five hours and 14 minutes left to go on it. Um, and I think it was about 16 hours long. So I'm on the home stretch. Um, it's a really good audio book too. I do mm. really like it. It's um, it's very, very good. World War II historical fiction, which I love. Right up your alley. I know. Yeah. It's perfect. But, yeah, I am glad that I, I would not have the time to sit down and read it, but I audio all the time. So, yeah, I've been sneaking it at work sometimes too. If I'm just like <laughs> processing photos or something that doesn't require much thinking, then I'm just like, I'll just put this audio book on. Yeah. 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 So, so we're we very excited for that. So, so excited for this event. And yeah. it should be a really wonderful chat with Kate. And again, I'm going to say hopefully, but you should all be able to hear it um, yeah. soon enough. So, um, so if you are in are one of our few listeners that are in Rockhampton, um, you can come live. Capricorn is on the 6th of April. Which is a Saturday. Saturday, yes. Saturday the 6th of April. Um, and our chat with Kate is at 10.30? I think, I think so. <laughs> but you should come before that if you're here because my pole studio is doing a very awesome Deadpool-themed performance. performance, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool. I, I'm not in it, no. Oh, I was like... <laughs> Are you performing, Michelle? No, they've got the professionals to do it. So, no, like the best three from the Pole Studio um, are doing it, and I think it's going to be pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be such a fun day. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's going to be really good. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so that's enough from us. Yeah. Yeah. We hope you enjoy. I never know how to end this. I think enjoy our wonderful interview with Karen is enough.
With a background in theatre and teaching, today's guest loves all creative things. She's a writer and a fellow podcaster interviewing extraordinary women about their life story. She's also recently celebrated the publication of her book, Letters to My Yesterday. That's Welcome good. to Better Words, Karen Sepulveda. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Um, I guess the best place to start is with Letters to My Yesterday, which mm-hmm. we mentioned was published at the end of last year. Yeah. How did you get inspired for that story and was it this story or the podcast which came first? How do they sort of work together? Okay, so the story came first um, and, yeah, it was really, really odd. I was just driving one day and I was stuck in traffic and just that title popped into my head, Letters to My Yesterday, and it, I didn't have a story attached to it or anything, just the title, but um, it felt, uh, you know, I kind of got the goosebumps and I felt like, oh, you know, I can do something pretty special with that so I just held on to it for a while and then um, a few months later I was at a family barbecue and I was listening to my uncle and my dad um, speaking about something they were talking about my great-grandmother and they were saying something along the lines of oh she paid all the money back to the butcher and I just thought oh that sounds really interesting what are you talking about and um, so I had always known so my great-grandmother was widowed um, in the early 1900s just before the depression started um, and she was left with two young children um, and they were just renting a house so no money no job and she um, found a piece of land on the same street they were renting in in this in the suburb of Hurstville in Sydney and she thought well you know what I could build a house here and I could um, create a general store and make my living that way. But getting money back then for a woman was really difficult. They didn't give loans at the bank or anything like that. So the butcher, which was their friend, he went guarantor for her um, and I think lent her just a small amount of money so she could get the loan from the bank. And that's what they were saying. She paid him all the money back really quickly. So I thought, oh, this could be really interesting because I had always known the story. I knew that um, her house was really special because – my grandmother went on to inherit it and it was always referred to as 33 Mile Street. It was never Granny's house or anything. They always called it by um, its name, I guess. So I always knew that. But as a kid, you know, all I thought was, oh, that would be so cool to live in a house where there was a shop out the front. That's all I thought of it. Yeah. Until, <laughs> you know, until now as like a 35-year-old woman with my own two children, just understanding how difficult, just having a whole new appreciation for her and how difficult her life must have been then to just be left with these children in a time with no money and no way to feed them or clothe them. And then to go on and run this amazing business that, um, yeah, paid the bills, sent sent her children to school. And so it just really made me think of what an extraordinary person. But on the outside, it looks quite an ordinary life. But when you look closer and you hear that story, you just realise what an extraordinary woman she was. So that was the the beginning of the idea for Letters to My Yesterday. So the st- the book starts with her story as the prologue and then it goes on to three fictional characters and but the same sort of thing you're looking at their ordinary their seemingly ordinary lives um but just having a look a little bit closer and seeing that extraordinary touch to it. Oh, I love that. And it's so beautiful cuz you know that really draws you in the first part that you yeah. read about this 
this woman providing for her family and, and making a really amazing life out of some tragic circumstances. Mm. So it's so wonderful to hear that that's all real. Yeah. It's so exciting. Oh, thank you. And it was so special to write it because my I asked my dad and my aunties and uncle to share some memories with me and they were so generous. They um, spent a lot of time typing out some memories. So it was really special to have that. And then, you know, I took a bit of creative license, but there's a lot of, most of it is truth. You know, they gave me what they remembered of that time. And so it was very special to write it. Wow. I think that just makes it, yeah, that much more special because I didn't know that when I wrote the book. And then, yeah, found found that out afterwards as we were researching for the interview and everything yeah. I was like oh I must have just missed that because it is on the media release I yeah. Yeah. yeah once you started saying that I was like I remember something about this. Yeah. um but I had I had forgotten it too and I think it's just a lovely and it's I'm a lovely glad thing. I did because it just makes it yeah so wonderful to hear afterwards. and you know what that's lovely for your kids too now to have yeah. that sort of um, immortalized and for the family to have that yeah. as something that gets passed down more than just orally yeah as well. definitely yeah. it felt it felt like something very special to share um, and to see my family read it and yeah and then I, I've read that part to my kids as well the whole book's not for them but because they're quite young but <laughs> they enjoyed that bit so yeah it is very special yeah. yeah, and I um, I did always love in the book, and I'm happy to hear that this is real, mm. that you always refer to the house as 33 Mass Street yeah. because my family does that too. Do we they? Just refer- yeah. Oh, Not cool. so much the numbers, but we always yeah. just call it all the houses is, I'm not, you know. Yes, yeah, by the street. Some revenue, oh, wow. like whatever. Yeah. I yeah. haven't met anyone else who does it. I just thought there was something <laughs> strange in my family. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so we do that. Oh, yeah. So then I wanted to ask you the Mm. story. You know, we have that bit at the beginning, and then it follows Marie, Dean, Isla, um, as it you know reflects on different times in each of their lives and how they meet each other and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, why did you want to tell the story of all four of them? Yeah, (laughs) good question. I don't know. I think I just I knew I didn't have enough of the story with Rose to mm-hmm. to make a whole book. So I knew I had something special, but I didn't I didn't know what else to do with it. So I kind of just sat there for a while and then Marie's character came to me first, which is Rose's daughter. So she's very loosely based on my grandmother, but I've she also kind of is based on what I see myself in the future, who I would like to be, I guess. Um and started creating her and and then I thought of the principal, um, Dee, and she is loosely based on another friend of a friend of mine who's, um, who I studied because I was a teacher as well. So I stayed at university with um, a wonderful lady who went on to become a principal as well of, of an Islamic school. And when I made friends, when I became friends with her, she shared so much of her religion with me and it just made me realise how much we we don't always understand each other, if that makes sense. We just kind of have this idea of have this idea of what um, we have a stereotype in our mind of what a religion is. But then when you get to know somebody and we were so similar in so many ways and I just I wanted to write something about that. Um, I didn't know how to do it, but I just wanted to reflect that underneath we're all the same. We're human first. Um 
And, yeah, so I, I kind of started having a play with that and then this character Dee came out as the principal who was trying to do that in her schools, trying to put um, that inter-school, interfaith curriculum in place, which highlights our similarities rather than our differences. Yeah. So, yeah, and then Isla's character, um, she came to me totally separately. I think a few years ago I tried to write a book about her by herself and it didn't work, so I sort of start a few chapters and then same thing I kind of left it I've got a whole file on my computer of books I've started and left before <laughs> so I think I I thought oh she can fit in really well here and then yeah they all just sort of came together I, I never get tired of hearing that because that is <laughs> something that people say often about you know oh well this character was you know an idea I had years ago and, and then mm. I had this idea or something like that and it just it just really shows how I guess amazing our minds are that like you've had these different ideas yeah. across yeah. time or whatever and then somehow they all click. Yes. I know it's yeah. funny, it's like they had to meet at the right time. <laughs> the right, yeah. right place. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean I guess that's what Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in Big Magic yes. as well. This idea that the the stories are out there and you've just got to latch on to the idea or the idea is trying to find a home. Yes, yes. So, and I believe that so much and that's exactly how I feel about how the title came to me. It was exa- I just pictured um, her ex- her describing that actually, the, the idea <laughs> kind of going past in a bubble and me grabbing it, you know, yes. so I, I do believe that as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting though is that, you sort of tell Rose's story from her own perspective as mm-hmm. well as Marie's recollections of her as well. Why did you want to include that perspective rather than just looking through memories and, and stuff like that that Marie has of her mother? So why did I want to tell it from Rose's perspective as well, do you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think because just through my family sharing their memories of her, I just felt a very strong connection with her. And, yeah, I found it very easy to jump into her character as I wrote. I didn't struggle. That chapter came out so, so easily for me, that first one. So, yeah, I don't know whether she was helping me along or what was going on, but I definitely felt a strong connection to her. And, um, yeah, so I, I just felt like I wanted to tell her side of it in a way. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I love that. yeah. Um, so I think something really interesting um, that we found out too is that this isn't your first novel. So you no. previously um, self-published a fantasy novel yes. and then um, you wrote a really lovely blog post about sort of your publishing journey and the ups and the downs. Um, how did this publication process differ to self-publishing, mm. um, especially given like, you know, some time has passed and, I think you wrote in there that it was really like an apprenticeship for you. You learned yes. a lot. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think this year is actually 10 years since I first decided I wanted to be a writer because I did my first creative writing workshop at um, the Australian Writers' Centre 10 years ago and then I went on to do my master's after that. And when I was doing my master's, we did for our assignments chapters. So I submitted the first few chapters of that fantasy novel that I wrote and I got a high distinction for it and that was my first assignment I did and I was so elated and I thought wow I'm I'm really incredible writer I can do this really easily (laughs) this is gonna happen so easily for me and then I went on to learn like wow there's a whole lot of rejection coming and all sorts of things I went Mm. I was so naive but I had so much to learn I think about 
the publishing industry, the way it works, and just how to be, I guess, a, a bit of a tougher person because I was still quiet at that stage. I really cared what people said about my writing. I didn't, if I submitted an assignment, if there was any feedback, I don't think I took the criticism very well. I took it quite personally and um, it didn't just bounce off me and I didn't know how to use it constructively yet. So that's been the biggest thing I've learned through my writing journey. Just now when I give someone a piece of work, I'm dying to hear their feedback and for their criticism. I can take anything now. So I think I just I had to develop as a person quite a lot. I wasn't ready to put that book into the world back then. I think I would have been eaten alive. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so but then I, I did go on to self-publish. After all the rejections, it, it didn't get picked up by anybody. So... But I really wanted to do something with it because I'd worked so hard on it and it was all throughout when my kids were really little, so while they were babies, while I was pregnant, and I didn't want that to be a waste of time. I just had this strong feeling of, okay, now I've got to get this out there and share it. So, yeah, I decided to self-publish and it was really difficult because the marketing part doesn't come naturally to me at all. Um, but it was a overall it was a positive experience because I got some – I made some great connections. I, I started, I didn't even know what Instagram was before I self-published. <laughs> and I, I started it with the purpose of, you know, selling the book, but I ended up making great connections with other authors there and learning a lot through that. So, yeah, that's why I call it the apprenticeship because it really did teach me more than I could have ever learned in any writing course. Mm. So then why did you want to go with the traditional model this time and how did you go about that? Did you get an agent or did you pitch straight to publishers? Well, I think I wasn't a very successful self-published author because <laughs> I didn't sell many copies at all. Um, so I thought, well, yeah, I really, my goal has always been to be a career author and it still is. So, yeah, I did. I just started, um, send, I sent it out to a few publishers but when I sent it to Ventura they were one of the first people I sent it to and I did I had a very strong feeling that they would accept it and um yeah I went in and met them and there was just a very we had a good bond from the beginning so it just feels like they were the right publisher at the right time for this book oh, again things happening at the right time right time yeah. for the right reason <laughs> yeah I love that. And I think in writing or in any creative kind of industry, I think it is so much about timing because Mm. you do, you have to be ready and you have to have done the hard work, but it also has to be that this, you need a partner in it if you want to go down the traditional publishing route. And um, yeah, it just has to be there at the right time, I think. Now that you know, the book's been out there for a Mm. few months and you've had time to sort of sit with that fear of people reading it and a little bit of a fear of like rejection and stuff again. How are you feeling, you know, now that you've had time to reflect on that and a a few months have passed since publication? I feel really good. I feel very, like the book is still very special to me, but I feel quite detached from it now. Um, At the time, just before it was about to be released, I really felt very, you know, I was very scared to put it out there because it was so close to my heart. But just over um, over time, I've really distanced myself from it. And I think because I'm really into my – I'm nearly finished my next book, so I'm very involved in that process now that I've, I've kind of – it's like I've stepped back from the story and uh, it's not mine anymore. It's It's the readers now and everyone has their own individual journey with the book. So – I think I did my best with it and I put it out there in the world and now it's got its own journey to go on. So it feels it feels a bit separate from me. 
Yeah. I always, I, I just love that as well. Because, yeah. you know, it's, I guess it's that classic thing. It's like once it's published, you can't change it. Yeah. So you've got to, yeah. I guess, accept that, you know, that chapter has ended, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's true. It's a, it's a good place to be because I think if you're too worried and, you know, you're checking reviews all the time or you can make yourself go a little bit crazy. I think, yeah, oh, you do. Sure. The distance helps a lot. Yeah. 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 So then, you know, after this journey that you've had now with both self-publication and, you know, the more traditional route with Ventura, so mm-hmm. what is your advice to writers who might be struggling with that rejection or fearing rejection? I think hmm, what, what would I'm trying to think of what would have helped me to hear back then because I was so, <laughs> I was so impatient that I didn't like when I when I heard advice or read advice saying just be patient don't send out your first copy I used to get like ah oh, but I want to I want to send it out but, yeah um, it's so hard isn't it it is and I just think, want to share what, it truly the biggest biggest lesson is to be patient as frustrating as that is to hear. Your first draft will never, ever, ever be the copy that's going to be published. It's going to evolve and change so much. So I think my biggest thing is find something else as well that makes you really happy, that distracts you. So you've got your writing and you dedicate your time and you put your heart and soul into it, but I think you need something else in your life as well that you enjoy and can distract you from it. Um, especially when you've submitted and you're waiting to hear from publishers and things like that. So I think, yeah, so I, mm, it's not the best advice. Is it? So I, I think definitely. No, I think it's good. Be yeah. patient. Patience Work, is hard. But don't never, ever advice. give up. I think, you know, there's that, I don't know what the quote is now, but I know there's some sort of quote where it's the only really successful authors are people that didn't give up. So... You know, it could, like, it took me 10 years to get this book published. And if I'd known back then, maybe I would have given up along the way. I don't know. I hope I wouldn't have. But you, if you really, really believe in yourself and you just have that love of writing, just keep writing, do it for yourself, and the opportunity will present itself. Just have faith in that, I think. If you're, if you're enjoying what you're doing, you're enjoying that writing process, just keep going and work as hard as you can and the right opportunity will come along. I guess it's like what else we've, you know, been saying. It's all about that right timing and at the right moment. Yeah, yeah it really is. And when I say that, that advice about distracting yourself, it sounds a bit weird, but that's what I did for my podcast. You know, you said what came first. When I submitted my book out, I was you know, I had that anxious kind of, oh, I want to hear back feeling. So I thought, what else can I do? And I was really obsessed with listening to podcasts at the time. I just kind of discovered them. And I thought, this will be fun. I'll start my own podcast. So I did that with no intention other than just to have fun. And that really, that worked well. That distracted me really well because I was doing something else that was creative. Um, yeah. So that, yeah. that's kind of what I mean by that. Yeah. You just let us to our next question. Exactly. Which was yeah. to <laughs> Sorry. ask a bit more about your podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, you said you sort of started it as a distraction, but why, why did mm. you start it, I guess, with that same idea of telling the life story of extraordinary women? I think I just – I think because I love my title so much and it did just feel quite magical to me and that there was – more I could do with that idea and with the idea of everyday women 
being extraordinary and us not appreciating not appreciating that as much because I was I was thinking about my own reaction to my great grandmother and I thought of all the women you meet or all not just women but all the people you meet in your life you never know what story they have behind them and how they've gotten to where they are and as a writer of course and readers as well. I think we're all fascinated by characters and what makes up a person's journey. So I just wanted to explore that a little bit more. So I just I asked a few friends if they'd be willing to be my first guests <laughs> and a few of them jumped on board and I just loved recording the episodes. I had so much fun. So then I started branching out a little bit and I asked a few of the people I know through Instagram, like a few of the authors I know and other people who just kind of amazed me and I thought <clears throat> that would be really interesting to kind of see where they've come from and sh- ask them to share a bit of their journey with me and then I finish each episode by asking what would you write in a letter to you yesterday which I've found is such a healing I didn't expect it to be such a healing process because everyone I interview I think nearly everyone has they'll contact me later and say wow I feel so good about that after writing that letter to my younger self it's kind of like they've gone back and forgiven themselves or healed themselves so yeah it's 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 a fun but a special project as well actually it's um it reminds me of um Kate Grenville's writing and Mm -hmm. um what she talks about she wrote a biography and the name escapes me right now but she wrote her mother's biography Um, and I saw her talk at Brisbane Writers Festival and she said basically the same thing, that there are so many women who have these incredible lives that we don't even know about because we don't value women's stories. And Mm -hmm. I think this is especially true um, with women of a few generations ago, so women like your Mm great-grandmother, where really what she did was incredible Mm -hmm. to even be able to bring up a family without your main income source because women who had families wouldn't have worked back then to even be able to do that let alone the way she did is is incredible and it is an Mm. extraordinary story but because she's not famous or a man um we don't really know about it and that hearing um Kate Grenville speak about that at Brisbane Mm. Writers Festival was really the first time I'd considered that but it's so so true Mm. and so I think having you know a podcast like Letters to Our Yesterday just really helps shed light on that and you can tell so many stories in podcast form that I guess you can't quite get to in you know writing or whatever like it's such an easy it's such an easy medium to be able to um, create those stories and share them and, and keep them. And yes. I guess that's lovely for their families as well to have. Yeah, I think so. Something special for them to share with their, like one of my guests on it, she said that she had shared it with her friends and family and so many of them um, rang her or messaged her and said, wow, I never knew any of this about your past, like how she'd gotten to where she was. And they just loved hearing that other side of her and hearing her story. And I guess they then go on to have an appreciation for that person that they didn't have before. So, yeah, thank you. I love that I get to do that in the podcast and shine that light on these seemingly ordinary women. Yeah. 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 I think it's wonderful. I really do. And I'm looking forward to 
the stories that you tell next season as well. So do you have any sort of ideas yet of the sort of things that you're doing or is there something coming out and when can we expect it? (laughs) No pressure. I I got a little bit sidetracked because I got so into my next manuscript that that's kind of all I've been doing every day. But I do have some interviews that I recorded a while ago. Um, So I think I've got about three and I'm hoping to do a few more interviews in the next couple of months and then I'll release all those but it will be this the same sort of same sort of questions where I just kind of ask them to share their life journey and then we we look at a letter to their yesterday but I think yeah maybe after that season I don't know if I'll do something a bit different and I'm not sure yet yeah I have to think about it but there'll definitely be another season of letters to our yesterday for sure wonderful (laughs) what about your next manuscript can you give us any little clues or anything there Yay. Well, I'm so excited. Again, you know, we were talking about how when you just have these random characters on your computer that you can go back to. (laughs) Well, for this one, I had the opposite where I had, I've written a manuscript with two characters. So there's one in the past and then I've got one in the present timeline. And I went to a really awesome writing retreat the other week, the Nash Agency Retreat. And um, Hayley Nash is the the agent there and she read it and she suggested to me I cut one of my characters out and cut out the present timeline and just focus on the past and I just went yeah okay I can do that I said it really quite quickly but then I didn't sleep all night because I had to cut out a whole character and I cut off half my manuscripts about 60,000 words so um yeah this this manuscript's taken a really interesting journey and it's now it's gone from being a dual timeline to just the one character set mm-hmm. set in the 1940s it starts and she it's two little girls who are being um abused by physically abused by their mother who's mentally unstable and they together they create a world of fairies to survive their tra- traumatic childhood um and then one of them goes on to want to be a doctor so it just follows her journey through university and being one of the first female cardiothoracic surgeons so there's a bit of research in this one as well and um yeah so same sort of thing it does follow her life journey but um yeah very different to letters to my yesterday wow that is a big a big change but it sounds very exciting yes it does thank you it's been interesting interesting too to go from um having that present anchor I guess to just fully doing historical fiction Yes, yeah, it was a big change, but I'm glad I did it because now I'm exploring this character a lot deeper than I was before. I think I was kind of just getting to surface level of both of them because I had the two main characters. Um, so, yeah, and it's a bit different for me because in in the past I've always led us to my essays for four characters. Mm. So this is the first time I've focused on just the one. Ooh. Exciting. Yeah. Getting to know her a lot better. Yes. Yes, I am. I can't switch her off that night. I'm always (laughs) thinking about what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, Just, yeah, back to Letters to My Yesterday. Um, When Mm -hmm. I was doing just a little bit of research for this interview, I saw, I think it was on Google, that Letters to My Yesterday was defined as domestic fiction. And I haven't oh. actually heard that term before as a genre. No, neither have I. <laughs> yeah. So I just was like, 
Oh, that's very what interesting. And yeah. I, I Googled it and it says domestic fiction is a term used to describe a body of popular narrative literature written by, for and about women that flourished during the mid-19th century. And I'm just curious to know, what do you think about the way we <laughs> label like genres and books and yeah, that because I just That's never so heard the word domestic fiction. I know, neither yeah. have I. I haven't like, heard that either. Because... Um, what is it? The domestic thrillers, which are like yes. thrillers, psychological thrillers yeah. based around like home and families and yeah. sort of yes. like, you know, weird things happening in the attic, whether, um, you know, rather than like a random <laughs> person on the street, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's been a few yeah. lately. I can yeah. picture their covers, but yeah, yeah. But domestic fiction, I no. haven't heard. Yeah, that's really funny. It's so interesting because I, I do struggle to to know what genre. I'm the same. I never really think of books as particular genres. I mm. I can read anything. I can go and pick up any kind of book and enjoy most genres. So I don't really think too much about what a particular genre a book is before I read it. So yeah, that's really interesting. It's called domestic fiction. I wouldn't I would have just called my book, I guess, commercial fiction. I don't mm, yeah. I don't know, just for Well, we sort of have a little adjunct to that question. Okay. <laughs> which is so domestic fiction or chiclet, um, yeah. as well be another one. And there's lots of books that Oh, like women's lots fiction of they words call it. That, yeah, yeah, lots of okay. words that are used to describe women's books. Yes. Um, and so Caitlin found this really great article on Book Riot, which yes. is sort of tongue-in-cheek suggesting that we should then start t- using terms like um, bromance and <laughs> my favourite, man-venture, man-adventure man, man, man um, and dude-lit um, oh. to kind of counter, counteract that. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Like what's your view on that um, and the way that so many of the works by women are categorized into these things whereas men just tend to write fiction yeah yeah I know it's it's weird isn't it I think there's so many things in society that are strange when it comes to labels because I mean I get it I know people have to market things a certain way and understand who's buying the book so I do understand that there's I guess a need for it but yeah like I don't I can't tell you that I know anyone that says oh I only read um domestic, domestic. <laughs> you know what I mean I don't I don't know anyone that does that I just know people that love a certain kind of book I guess love a love an author or might try and find authors that are similar to them mm. but yeah it is strange isn't it I, I remember um when I met with my publishers actually we were chatting about because you know they ask you how are they going to pitch your um, media release you know like what what can they talk about and Jane Curry, who is the owner of Ventura Press, she's like, I'm not mentioning that you have children and that, you know, you're right, she said, because that's what you'll be labelled as. And yeah. they were saying that, you know, Leanne Moriarty is like the most successful, one of the most successful Australian authors we have. And people still write about her as a housewife writing, which is just so insane because she is earning an amazing living from her writing. It's such a career. And I don't know why she's called a housewife that's writing yeah. you know yeah. so strange I know. Well, See, and a housewife the... makes it sound like she gets to have fun writing her books while her husband or whatever uh, yeah, the yeah does the real work or something and it's the, so strange the thing is, like I understand the need to market books to specific yes. audiences and having you know 
rural romance it was that remember like a few years ago it was like a big thing it was everywhere or you know having um thrillers and you know I understand that but there seems to be a particular trend in really specifically labeling books written by women Mm -hmm. as opposed to the general literature that men get to write in fiction you know there are men who write science fictions but when it comes to just general I would call them just contemporary novels. Yes, yeah, yeah same. Women yeah. seem to get put into even more little categories yeah. rather mm-hmm. than just saying it's general fiction, it's, contemporary. It's, it's ge- contemporary fiction or general yeah. fiction. Yeah. Yeah, we get into mystic fiction it's, apparently. Yeah. It's so strange. It's so weird. Mm. But I think, yeah, maybe if we just kind of ignore it and just say <laughs> We just read, I just read general fiction and, you know, yeah. not give it a label. Maybe that will catch on. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's just yeah, odd. Although it's I have weird. to admit, I think I'm a fan of trying to apply all of those words to men's. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to start using the word men venture. Men venture is great. Yeah. I like that. I like doodly as well. That's a yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I can think of, I can think of, it's like, you know, like Tim Winton. Like that's doodly. Yeah. That's totally That's doodly. Yeah. That's what your dad reads. Like. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Actually, you know that what? That is I, absolute doodlet. I heard a new, t- I heard a new genre actually not long ago. There's like, have you heard of uplit? It's called uplit. Oh yes, I think I have. It's like oh. uplifting literature. Yes. Because yes. So does that mean it can't have like a sad ending? Well, no, but it can still well, be sad. But it's genuine. Yeah. Like people it makes you feel it good to describe the Lido by Libby Page, which oh. is how I heard about it. It's yeah. generally very like. And that has sad bits in it, but it mm. generally has a lovely, like... I suppose it's like it kind a of rest- version of a feel-good movie. Yeah. 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 And, and, like, it restores your faith in humanity, kind yes. of. Oh. Rather than, like, a rom-com sort of yeah. part of it. It's like it's, yeah, it makes I think it restores about, your faith in humanity is the best yeah. way to put it. Oh, okay. I don't think yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I thought that was a good one. I, I'd like to call I like my that. genre uplit. I was like, yeah. I could, I can live yeah. with that. One. I like it. <laughs> I think we should just reclaim it because that one doesn't seem to present any sort of inherent bias towards no, women either. Like, I like it. Yeah. I like that one. So, yes, Thanks. I think Letters to My Yesterday is <laughs> uplit. Yeah, I'm going to call it that. Too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Karen, where can people find you online um, to follow mm-hmm. you? Okay, so I have a website which is my very long name, karensippelvita.com. And I'm on. I'm pretty active on Instagram, which is Karen with an underscore set, and on Facebook as well, which is my full name. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at Better Words Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.